Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. It's mentally yours. So, Joe, welcome to Mentally Yours. It's lovely to have you on today. Um, We're going to just dive straight in because that's the kind of podcast that we are. Even in the British Medical Journal, uh, depersonalization disorder is referred to as the as-if disorder because we're so reliant on using metaphors to try and explain what the symptoms are. But essentially, it falls on the uh, sort of spectrum of dissociative disorders, and it can affect different people differently. But the core symptom of depersonalization is essentially a disconnection. It's uh, the, one of the metaphors we would typically use is it feels as if we're drunk all the time or as if we're living life behind a pane of glass. It's essentially a constant dreamlike state that makes you feel as if you're removed from both yourself, that's depersonalization, and also the world around you, which is derealization. And generally the two come together. But for some people, depersonalization can be transient and it can come and go. But for others, it can be much more long-term and it can affect you for months, years, decades, or, or even more. But that's essentially what depersonalization disorder is. It's a chronic disorder that will go on for usually a good amount of time, and it can be quite difficult to treat, unfortunately. But it's that dreamlike state that uh, is pretty much the defining characteristic. There are other things that exist on the periphery, and people can go one way or the other with certain symptoms. But overall, it's that detachment from yourself and the world around you that defines depersonalization. I noticed that you said constant. Is it a persistent thing, or are there any moments that people can get relief from it? 
Um, as I said, it affects everybody very differently. Mm. So for some people, it can be a transient thing and it can come and go depending on another sort of underlying problem and it appears as a reaction to that. So for example, it could come about as a result of a panic attack. So if you have a panic attack, depersonalization might come along with that. And when the panic goes away and the anxiety levels drop, the depersonalization will kind of fizzle out. But when it becomes a chronic disorder, it lasts for much longer periods of time. So for me, I've had depersonalization for nearly 14 years now. And in that time, I haven't had a single moment where it has dropped. It is 24-7 chronic. For some people, it does move around a bit. Certain periods are more difficult than others. And it does fluctuate a little bit. And the likes of CBT therapy are quite good at um, picking up on those patterns and working with a therapist to reduce those peaks and troughs. But for some people like myself, depersonalization is a kind of mode that the mind has switched into. And yeah, it's it's completely chronic for me. It's 24-7 and it's kind of steadily got worse over time, but it's never got better in terms of the severity of the symptoms. How long did it take for you to get correctly diagnosed with this? It took a long, long time. And that's one of the really big problems for me. From the first onset of the symptoms to getting an official diagnosis, it was about 10 years. But that's pretty average for this condition. I think the average diagnosis period is 7 to 12. So I'm kind of in the middle of that. So it is one of the most baffling things for me because the more I've looked into depersonalization over the years, depersonalization as a transient symptom is the third most common symptom of mental health conditions such as anxiety and depression and PTSD and things like that but even as a chronic disorder that's very persistent and doesn't want to go away it's thought to affect one percent or one to two percent even of the general population to a clinical level which is about as prevalent as things such as OCD and schizophrenia and if you think about the the amount of services out there and the amount of awareness about what those conditions are for depersonalization to be as prominent as that and still people not knowing anything about it, it it's absolutely baffling but yeah it took 10 years for me but that is unfortunately far from out of out of the ordinary can you tell us a bit about how dpd started for you when did you first notice that something wasn't right for me i was 18 and i was at school doing my a levels so depersonalization tends to come on during a period of overwhelm and mm -hmm. high stress and emotional sort of vulnerability i suppose so i was doing my a levels i was working really hard um, i had a really rough time at school for my entire time there so i was i was bullied really bad so that was adding on top of things and um, it was also around the time that one night, stupidly, I um, took a dose of cannabis mm. and depersonalization coming about after drug usage is pretty common as well. So all these things added together kind of resulted in this period that was very, very stressful and overwhelming. And for me, it came on pretty gradually. At first, it felt, it was almost like that feeling when you go on holiday, like you miss a night's sleep, you go to the airport, you fly across Europe, and you stay up, you have a beer over dinner, and it just feels completely disorientating. It's that I, I was 
in my own bed this morning sort of feeling mm. when you, everything just feels a little bit kind of distorted but you know you're just tired so for me that's how it started but then it kind of got progressively worse over the subsequent sort of 13 14 years but for some people it can come on all at once with terrifying and debilitating intensity. So the onset is a little bit of a different experience depending on the individual. But for me, it's been a... How did you come across it? What was the kind of changing point where you went, oh, that's me, that's what I'm experiencing? Absolutely. Well, it was it was one evening in December of 2016, I think it was. And for so long, as you know, a lot of people do with any sort of health problem that it hasn't been diagnosed, I spent hours every night on Google researching any condition mm-hmm. that I thought there might be any chance I could have, typing symptoms into Google and even getting into the sort of dangerous trap of trying to apply symptoms of really bizarre illnesses to myself, just so I had some sort of name for what I was going through and some sort of direction. And I I went from everything from heavy metal poisoning to auto brewery syndrome, where you have a yeast overgrowth and you essentially produce alcohol and and you literally are drunk all the time so I bought a breathalyzer for that and I was worried I might be becoming schizophrenic and all these sorts of things and then one night I came across an article it was an online newspaper article in the Guardian uh, written by a, a chap called Howard Swains and it was called something along the lines of depersonalization disorder the condition you've never heard of that affects millions and I thought depersonalization i didn't know anything about what that was but straight away it felt relatable just you know not being in connection with yourself and i read that article and in the space of about 10 minutes everything changed it was an absolute light bulb moment and it's a very common story that i i hear all the time both through doing my youtube channel and also working with the unreal charity doing peer support calls is people come across a a list of symptoms for the first time Mm after maybe decades of going through mental health services and GPs, psychologists, psychiatrists, neurologists, all these people and not getting any answers. When you come across that list of symptoms of depersonalization disorder for the first time, it is so specific. It really freaked me out because it was as if the article had been written about me. It wasn't like reading symptoms of other disorders and thinking, well, oh, I can kind of apply that to myself. And oh, yeah, I got that once upon a time. It was yes, 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 yes. That is what I've got. No question whatsoever. It was so specific. So as soon as I found that article and I had a name for it, I just got my teeth into it. And I just was relentless in trying to research it, get in touch with other people with the condition. I found out about the depersonalization disorder service within the Maudsley Hospital in London. Now, I live in Bristol, so getting there for therapy is a very difficult task of getting referred through CCGs, getting sent out of area, all these sorts of very bureaucratic things. But I made it my mission to get there and just kind of get involved find out as much as I could about the disorder and just try anything I possibly could to get better so yeah it was finding it out myself online but that is such a common thing for this condition I would say a good 80% of people I know who also have the condition discovered it themselves online and then pitched it to the experts which is completely the wrong way around it's so trivialized by the Mm. entire 
health services to an extent. You know, GPs more than psychiatrists, but e- even like, you know, secondary and tertiary care, it just gets so sort of brushed off as a, oh, it's a, probably a very normal thing. You know, I've been told to go and put my feet up with a cup of tea and people have been told, to, you know, have come and take a hot bath. It might go away. And you just get so brushed aside when you're trying to explain I think any sort of dissociative symptom a lot of the time. But yeah, I, I've pitched it to quite a few people and it has rarely gone down well. Can you tell us a bit about what has helped in terms of your treatment at the Maudsley and also in general? In terms of the symptoms themselves, the the detachment, the emotional numbing, the the, the symptoms of depersonalization disorder, nothing has helped despite all the things I've tried. And, you know, I, I've tried everything from... I, I went, I pri- privately paid for some hypnotherapy ones, just trying anything. It's not something I particularly believe in, but I tried that to all the sort of CBT and sort of trauma therapies, general counseling, as I said earlier, blood tests, trying different medications, various types of antidepressant, uh, a mood stabilizer called lamotrigine, all, all these sorts of things. And nothing has relieved the symptoms in any way. Now, that's not entirely out of the ordinary uh, for depersonalization when it's a a kind of chronic long-term mode as it is for me it can be very difficult to kind of chip into but I, I think that's another problem of the kind of the NHS mental health services in that you never seem to be able to get long enough with anybody to make significant inroads into a problem as soon as you start to feel like you're breaking the ice and starting to kind of you know chip away at the problem your funding runs out or you you can only get six sessions and then you're out the door you might get a different therapist and you have to start from square one and all that sort of stuff so in terms of the symptoms nothing's really helped you know they're still kind of slowly getting worse over time which is pretty difficult to deal with but that's that's not to say that i haven't had some benefit from various therapies over the years so you know even things like just understanding psychology better knowing what is likely going on in my mind and what depersonalization is just reducing the kind of mystery of the unknown and arming yourself with knowledge is incredibly sort of comforting i suppose just knowing what it actually is that's going on with you and and even things like my therapy is sort of focused on my tendencies towards perfectionism for example so learning to make more balanced judgments of things not defaulting to this has gone completely wrong just because one person out of a hundred doesn't like what I've done. Overall, it's been pretty successful and making more valued judgments and things like that. And, you know, reduce, I used to get a lot of headaches. I still get a few, but through keeping like a, an hourly diary for a couple of weeks, I worked out that it wasn't just tiredness and overexertion that was causing those headaches. It was that when I was busy and working really hard on something or traveling around, I'd forget to eat. And the next day I would always get a headache because my blood sugar would just crash through the floor. So I'm now much more mindful of that and trying to eat at regular times. And that has reduced my headaches and migraines. So the positives have come from therapy and I have learned a lot. I've got a lot more knowledge now than I did. I understand my own psychology and the psychology of other people in my life a lot better, which has been really helpful. But in terms of the depersonalization itself, nothing has helped. But a lot of people find it can be very treatment resistant, unfortunately. I wanted to ask a bit about, I'm not sure how to word this correctly, kind of like the mental health 
impact of this mental health condition because I think what you're describing sounds like it could cause a lot of fear a lot of worry a lot of the frustration um you know there might be other traumas going on so is a lot of the treatment kind of focused on dealing with that side of things even if you can't you know like air quotes fix the depersonalization is it focusing on the other outcomes of it if that makes sense (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think one important thing that came out of researching the book and talking to what what few world-leading experts we actually have in this condition Mm. was depersonalization is is fundamentally reactionary. So whether, and it's also important to stress, I should say, that for a lot of people, depersonalization is something everybody will probably experience during their Mm. life. And it's not always problematic it is believed to be a protective reflex of the mind that stems from the fight flight response so it human beings when they're in very stressful and overwhelming and emotional situations have a tendency to react quite irrationally so it a really good metaphor for this is depersonalization is a little bit like an airbag in a car if you imagine you have an accident the airbag inflates to kind of cushion you from the physical impact Whereas depersonalization is kind of like an emotional airbag. So depersonalization comes on to protect you from the the overwhelm of the stress and the anxiety. So if you are in something like a car accident, you'll quite often find that you're able to get out of the car and talk to the person you had the accident with and swap details. And then if your car's okay, at least drive home. Then when you get home, you'll find yourself panicking and shaking and and that is essentially depersonalization doing its job in psychological terms it's allowed you to better escape a threatening situation by using your brain power to kind of get away from the threat and resolve the situation rather than for the want of a better expression freak out mm. and then you get home and you're able to process the emotions and the reality once you're safely out of the situation and when depersonalization becomes problematic it's essentially the same thing. It's still reactionary. So as I said earlier, if you have a panic attack, depersonalization might come along to try and protect you from the distress of that panic because nobody likes experiencing high anxiety or depression or traumatic flashbacks or things like that. So the depersonalization is essentially trying to do you a good deed and get rid of that distress for you. But of course, by doing that, it takes a lot of other things away as well. So mm. as, as you said in your question, it can be incredibly difficult, especially when it's chronic and longer term for you know decades of your life, because it takes away so much of life in general. There mm. aren't those emotional peaks and troughs. The emotions aren't there. The reality of what's going on isn't there. And everything feels, to me at least, completely meaningless and a nothing so you know emotions are a very very difficult thing because i don't really experience them there's the odd little sort of negative emotion usually that does kind of break through so i do occasionally feel angry or low in mood but the positive emotions just aren't there so you can imagine how that would affect something like a romantic relationship Mm. you know being in a relationship with somebody and you say to them look I'm not able to feel love for you. And it's nothing personal. It's nothing to do with you. You know, it's it's the old, you know, it's not you, it's me line, but it really is. It's, you know, I don't have that response. And that can cause so many difficulties, both in terms of motivation, because if you can't experience something, 
where's the motivation to do it, especially when the thing doesn't seem real anyway? What advice would you give to anyone who thinks that they might have depersonalization disorder or has recently been diagnosed? Because um, you've obviously done sort of loads of research for your book and obviously having lived it for so long. Um, what would you say to them? I think the number one thing would be learn about the condition. Now, I don't, I don't mean you have to kind of do what I've done, sort of almost become a psychologist and sort of dive into it, go through all the kind of brain science and all that sort of stuff, but just understand a little bit about what it's believed to be in psychological terms and also understand that it's a pretty normal thing that everybody will experience at certain points in their life you know if you've ever heard anybody getting a phone call saying that someone close to them has died for example you will probably hear them say i felt completely numb it felt like a bad dream it felt like it wasn't really happening and that is depersonalization. They are experiencing the same thing as you. So it's a normal thing to a point. Um, but so many people also go through the same thing as you. And it's very difficult to remember that because the condition itself feels so isolating, taking you further and further away from other people and yourself. And you feel like you're kind of fizzling out into a nothingness. But 1% of the population have depersonalization to a clinically diagnosable level so there are other people out there there is support out there you know my book is a good place to start um, but there are specific clinics out there who do treat it they're few and far between but they do exist so the Maudsley depersonalization disorder service in london um a real kind of leading figure in the field called dr elaine hunter runs the depersonalizationclinic.com and she does you know especially in the days of covid a lot of kind of e-therapy over skype or zoom or whatever it is so there are resources out there the unreal charity is another one we do peer support calls and we have we do them monthly we have people from all over the world dialing into a zoom call and there's a theme each month and we just chat about the condition and people on those calls find them very overwhelming in a in a positive way that a lot of them say like this is my first time speaking to anybody else with this condition and i don't have to try and explain it in metaphors because everybody knows and it's like a safe space to share things that might be misconstrued by people who don't know but everybody on the call does. It's facilitated by people with the condition. Other people there have the condition. And you can be honest about things like, I don't feel love for my partner. And everybody gets it. It's nobody's there trying to kind of spin a story out of it or explain, you know, in really kind of vague terms that you worry people might understand. Everybody gets it. So there are resources out there. But I think starting on the road to accessing medical help is absolutely key as well because as um, a real kind of important professor who's in a lot of research into the condition called professor anthony david said to me it's a truism of all medicine that the longer a condition is around the harder it is to treat and that's another big problem of the average diagnosis being seven to twelve years is because that's a long time for the thought processes to kind of really embed in you without being addressed and that can make the problem worse so you know at the charity and through the book i'm really trying to help to bring that diagnosis time down just a little bit so go and see your gp try and get to see a psychiatrist or a psychologist in my experience neuropsychiatrists have been the most knowledgeable about depersonalization but if you are going to see your doctor 
arm yourself with information about the disorder because unfortunately you will probably have to explain it to them and convince them to get on your side as it were so you know it it can be difficult but there are people out there supporting you know there are youtube channels there are charities there are books and you know the help and support is out there and the information is out there um you know there are forums and facebook groups where people share experiences which can get a little bit dark at times but overall they're a great resource to learn from other people how they tackle the same problems as you and people saying on you know in forums and things like that you know I, I really struggle to talk to my parents about this. How have other people done this? And people will reply and tell you their experiences with their parents. And maybe they've had a parent that thinks it's all a big cry for attention or something and how they've dealt with that and, and all this sort of stuff. There are people out there going through the same thing. So talk to other people online, learn about the condition and just try to get into the health system as quickly as you can. I think that's a really lovely place to end, but I'm going to ruin it because I had one more question. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but um, I know in your book, you talk about drugs. Um, and I think that's so interesting because a lot of the kind of comparisons that I've read have been people saying, it feels like I'm constantly drunk or I'm constantly high. Um, so I wanted to ask firstly, um, do you use alcohol or drugs at all anymore? Um, and what effect do you see that has on you? And secondly, what are your thoughts now of, is there, do you think there's a link? Do you think it was provoked by that? Or do you think it's just a strange, random coincidence? What are your thoughts? Um, in terms of me, um, I aside from that one time taking a dose of cannabis, I've mm. never used any drug at all mm -hmm. it's just not the side of life that interests me which as a long-haired guitarist is kind of not very rock and roll <laughs> to admit but it's i've just never been into that side of life um alcohol is a slightly different story for me in that mm -hmm. in especially early on in the condition when it, i still kind of had a lot of those fear emotions there and it was very distressing what was happening i definitely was too reliant on alcohol at certain mm. times to try and numb the distress as it were so especially when I was at university which you know the lifestyle did not discourage it at all mm -hmm. but I did become very reliant on alcohol now I am now at the stage where I can go down the local pub and have a couple of pints and that's fine and i know my limits with it now so it's you know i very rarely drink and it and it's not it's not that i don't drink it's just that mm. i don't drink if that makes any sense i haven't tried <laughs> yeah. to kind of, you know stop as such i just don't do it very often nowadays mm -hmm. but if i want to you know if i go down you know it's a warm summer's afternoon and you're sat outside in the pub i can have a cider or two and it's absolutely fine so yeah that's my sort of current usage i've never used drugs aside from that once and alcohol has been a problem in the past for me but now is absolutely fine you know i, I kind of use it healthily as it were if, if such a thing is possible um in terms of the link between um drugs especially and depersonalization disorder I, I think there is definitely a link there and it's a very common thing especially mm -hmm. reading on forums to hear people say especially about cannabis it can be kind of any 
mind-altering drug, you know, in, including like prescription medications and things. But cannabis seems to be the real risk factor. In terms of a potential link between depersonalization and drugs, there is definitely a link there. And it's something that you very commonly read on forums and things like that. And cannabis seems to be the real risk factor here. Why that is, I'm not 100% sure. It can be for any drug, including things like prescription medications. Um, But cannabis seems to be the most common one. And I think, I can't remember the exact percentage, but I think when studies have been done, I think about 30% of depersonalization cases have come about after drug use and generally cannabis. And I think cannabis is maybe viewed as a bit of a sort of a not particularly hardcore, quite a safe drug at times. And it's quite socially acceptable in a way that a lot of other drugs aren't. Um, but the theory behind it is, again, the depersonalization is completely reactionary. So it's not thought that it's any sort of chemicals in the drug that's affecting your brain or anything like that. It's more the experience you have on a particular drug, the kind of bad trip situation. So generally, when psychologists look into this, they will often find that the person takes a drug, maybe a stronger dose of what they've had before or a combination of drugs or something like that. And they will quite often have a panic attack Mm. or at least very elevated anxiety, uh, paranoia, things like that. And it's thought that the depersonalization is trying to protect them from that anxiety or panic of being on the drug. So it's not the chemicals in the drug as such, it's the psychological effect of the drugs that it's thought causes it. But if you are already overwhelmed in other areas of your life, if you're having relationship problems, you're doing exams at school, or you're having arguments with people, or whatever it might be, you know, whatever is stressing you out as an individual, sometimes the extra anxiety of a bad trip on a drug can, you know, for the want of a better expression, nudge you over the edge, as it were, it can kind of tip you over the threshold. So it's very common for depersonalization to appear during or after drug use, but it's not caused by the drug, as it were. It's not the chemicals. It's this how we psychologically react to being on the drug. That's the theory anyway. So this is goodbye from mentally yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. If you've been affected by any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116 123. You can also find them at samaritans.org. If you'd like more information about the Hub of Hope, you can find them online. They're hubofhope.co.uk. You can also download the Hub of Hope app from the App Store. If you'd like to find out more about Mentally Yours, you can find us on Twitter. We're at MentallyYRS. And we also have a lovely Facebook group, which is just called Mentally Yours. See you next week. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.